Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Oh, Miles here. Your Owl Post for the week is freshly delivered, and it is our last time in the Order of the Phoenix. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the newly home-owning Drea Kaufman. I was going to make tearful noises about ending the book, but now it feels like it would be about my house, which is totally not the case. So. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Uh, well, as life stories go, this one's a pretty good one because I know you guys are pretty ready to move into that brand new house. So that's exciting. Yes. Yes. We've been waiting since we signed the papers to build our house uh, Valentine's Day of this year. <laughs> We're just moving in. It's been a while. So it's been a bit of a journey. Um, we've been staying with family since then. So we are really grateful for that opportunity to save the money and have a little bit of help around the house. But it's also, it's also time to be back in our own place and in our own space with our own, you know, things. So, um, I'm super, super excited, but it's all happening so fast and there's so much going on. So, um, mm. it's, it's mixed, mixed, you know, it's, um, a sorrowful excitement, but, uh, so kind of like the end wait. of the book. So kind of like the end of this book, it seems to be perfectly suited for my life. I feel like, you know, it's all about me. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as we come to the end of the Order of the Phoenix, we're really um, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Um, you know, hit us up on Twitter at Join Nerd Party or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. Uh, both great places to interact with Dre and I about your thoughts about the entire book of the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, you can also uh, go over to the nerdparty.com slash contact and uh, you can choose Owl Post. Uh, and send us a message there, which would be great. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and you can also help the show out by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts, as well as giving us a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, either of those places. Um, great ways to be able to help the show grow. Uh, those are still the main places that people get their podcasts through the Apple network. So uh, giving us a star rating review um, does wonders. And um, when you do that uh, here in America, we read out your reviews. I for, I just want to apologize for all the people who probably have given us reviews uh, throughout the world. Uh, it's really difficult to check those shows. But if you give us a review, uh, if you uh, you know want to send those to us, you can do that on Twitter or you know uh, email wise. Just screenshot that and send it to us, and we'll read those too. So I mean, uh, as long as you know I, we we speak the language. Um, you know, I, I I'm barely proficient in English, so I apologize if I can't read. You know 
it in German, but I can always maybe like Google Translate it. So <laughs> there's options. There's always you can options. Be creative and think outside the box. <laughs> if it doesn't directly translate, you can hear how ridiculous we sound. I mean, that's always a plus. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, people have listened to this show long enough to know how ridiculous I sound. So. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, habla espanol. Uh, oh, so no. I speak a little bit of Spanish if you send that over. But depend depending on what it says, I might not follow all the way. But <laughs> we can give it a shot. I'll just make it up. I'll fill in the blanks. It'll be great. Someone do it. I really want to do this now. So it's it's <laughs> like um, give us a review in Spanish, but only if um, Drea can do it. Mad Lib style, so <laughs> <laughs> only if you're okay with that. But if someone wants to do it, I would, I would 100% be behind this. It'd be pretty funny. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, that this chapter is a lot like you were feeling with moving, which is there's some sadness involved, there's some happiness involved, and there's some uh, probably some melancholy involved with the thought of moving uh, again. But <laughs> the thought of packing yes. in this 110 degree heat, yeah. <laughs> So chapter 38, uh, the second war begins. And, you know, this one is fascinating because, you know, we talked a lot about in this book the way in which the media plays such a role in the wizarding world. And, and in many of the ways, I think I think she really forecasted the way in which the media was going to be such a place of, like, fake news with this book because it wasn't quite as bad when this book came out. Um, but this beginning to the chapter about he who must not be named returns, uh, the clip from the uh, Daily Prophet really shows us just how bad the reporting has been, how skewed it's been, how wrong it's been. Uh, and now they are backtracking uh, like a m- mother. And it is... Um, it's hilarious that, you know, Hermione's like, oh, well, now you're back to being, you know, the uh, boy who lived and not crazy. And like, it's it's very funny to begin this chapter this way, but it's also a sad statement on the media and the Harry Potter world. And, uh, you know, it makes me uh, unfortunately have to think about the media in our own world. So, yeah, it's really interesting um, how quickly it does a 180. And pretends like everything it reported throughout the last like year just never happened. Um, it because it, it there's actually a point where it points to, and I think one of the characters actually call it out, where it says like, "Oh, the the ministry had previously accused them or something, or painted them as crazy," and they were like, "Yeah, you guys did that too." <laughs> like it was like, "Oh, he was belittled or berated for this year or whatever," and it was like, "Yeah, by you, by you." Like, um, it was just so interesting how quick they were to give up responsibility. Um, and actually one of the things that was really ethically questionable in this, besides this whole kind of article, um, was the fact that they referenced uh, an exclusive behind the scenes with the, you know, tell all with, with the boy who lived and everyone's like, no, that was in the quibbler. (laughs) They sold it to this, you know, to the paper and you know, that, that term like exclusive, like well, they might be the only one printing it now, but it wasn't exclusive to this paper. Um, So it was just, it was so interesting how they quickly turned, but it really just shows how the media latches on and kind of sensationalizes whatever current thought they want to sensationalize. Um, 
but yeah, it was one of those things where it's really interesting when a group of, you know, 15 year old kids can sit around and be like, well, we have better ethics and know better than this entire publishing group could um and how it quickly kind of sweeps under the rug everything it did wrong and everything it supported over the last year and was quick to not really acknowledge umbrage or anything like that Mm so it was just it was really interesting yeah i think it really just goes to show the way in which the media is seen as being um very partisan and and also not just partisan but also they're just kind of picking whichever side is most popular and or winning so, you know, and, and so the moment that the truth is uncovered in a way they can't hide anymore and that side isn't popular anymore, uh, they they have to switch their tune very quickly. And, yeah. and the way that they try to do it here, and, and it's even seen kind of in the quotes we get from Fudge in the article, and it's just this bumbling mess of excuses and you know uh half-hearted attempts to redeem themselves and it's 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 really just kind of disgusting and and so and then like you said you know yeah they they buy the article from the quibbler so they can run it there uh in the daily profit and you know hey it ends up great for uh, Luna and her father, who, you know, they're going to get to go on vacation. They they made a great uh, bit of money off of selling the article, you know, so it actually had a huge benefit for them. Uh, and I love that they're going to go look for the crumpled horned snort kick or whatever. Snort, snort, snort bag, snort log. Snorkack. Uh, so snorkack. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. There we go. Uh, and my favorite part of this is all the little moments that happen. And I love how Hermione's just like struggling to say something. And she's like, Oh, that, that sounds lovely. And Ginny and Harry kind of catch each other's eyes and like grin at each other. And like, just, it's so what, what's kind of great at the, about the beginning of this chapter too, is there's this group that has become, not just a group like their family now like Ginny and Hermione and Ron and Harry and Neville and Luna now they are now like this little family that they are an inseparable type of group and actually we will see them be inseparable for pretty much the rest of the chapter for the most part which is really it's a it's adorable one but two I think it just shows um you know, Rowling does a great job of showing that when you kind of go through the fire with people, you have a relationship with them that gets very deep very quickly. And this group has that. And it's really neat to see these kids and and even just Harry have more than just Ron and Hermione, um, because in some ways, you know, later on in the chapter, uh, Luna is going to kind of be able to speak into Harry's life in a way that nobody else can. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I love the whole acknowledgement that there's sort of this forged in fire relationship that, that grows that nobody from the outside will really understand. Like it's really just up to them. Um, I feel like that's something we all can relate to. We've all had those friendships either at work or in personal lives or school or whatnot, where you just have such a connection or something happens in such a way that no one will ever be able to understand it, but the people involved and it kind of just shifts and changes things. Um, and, and I really love that she's growing who gets to be a part of that 
from here and expanding that and kind of opening his circle a little bit. Um, I love that Ginny's included. I love, um, I love that Luna gets included and kind of gets her own special moment. Cause I feel like, I feel like Neville and Harry kind of had their moment in one of the f- previous chapters during the battle and being able to experience a lot of that together. Um, and that, you know, Harry and Neville sort of have their own bonding moment when they run into each other at St. Mungo's. And now Harry kind of has the secret that he knows about Neville that Neville doesn't really know that kind of makes him feel a little, little closer to him too. And, and it's nice to see Luna getting her moment and getting her kind of way in that will that kind of happens a little later in the chapter, but is really starting to get forged here. Um, and I love kind of just the summary and the tidying up of everything that's happened around Hogwarts over the last few days while they've been re- healing and resting. Uh, we get to catch up with Umbridge. We get to catch up with how the swamp is doing and peeves and all of that. Um, it's just really nice to get this great insight into everything that's happening. Um, to I, And I love that she does that. She shows that life goes on and things continue even while they're not there and not participating in it. Um, and so we, we get a little taste of what's happening. And, and I do really love the story about the swamp and cleaning it's up the great. swamp. That Professor Flitwick did away with it in like a few seconds when Humbridge had been fighting with it for, you know, weeks or whatever. And, uh, and that they left a tiny little patch that got, you know, cordoned off because he just thought it was such a great little bit of magic. He couldn't bring himself to completely do away with it, um, which just reiterates what we talked about a few episodes ago, how Fred and George are such an amazing wizards in this non-traditional way, this non-book smart way um, and really paints. I love that they acknowledge the kind of genius of what they do. Um outside of the traditional expectations. Mm. I just love that. And that's something I don't think our education system does enough. Yeah. You know, I think what was kind of beautiful about it too, is you see that all the professors had kind of rallied around Fred and George in, in some ways, you know, and, and the rest of the students, you know, you, you saw them fighting the battle with the students against Umbridge every, any way they could. Um, and kind of having this beautiful little, um, memorial to um, the greatness of, of what, you know, Fred and George did is, is just kind of a, you know, uh, it, it's, it's like when you build a statue to something, you know, uh, like they, they've left that as a, a, as, as just a mark that these students left on the school, which is kind of indelible in many ways um, and in a very important moment. So, yeah. Um, on top of that, I also loved the moment where we see how uh, we hear about how Dumbledore had gone into the forest and came out with Dolores Umbridge without a scratch. And nobody has any idea how he did that with the centaurs being that pissed. <laughs> so there's a part of me that really loves what Ron does to Umbridge here. And then there's a part of me that's kind of like that knows the mental health implications of what's happening and wants to chastise for him for it. But I mean, the fact that he makes this like clop noise and she like instantly sits up and freaks out um, like she's seriously experiencing some sort of PTSD of what, what happened to her. Um, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, that's funny. And there's a part of you that's like, oh, that's a real mental condition. That's really not funny to mess with. Um, but yeah, that that's that's just, you know, the continuation of that story that she basically totally checked out. 
for the rest of this book. But it's interesting because we do find out she survives, which is not something we hear in the movie. I think we see her in a scene later in the series for the movies, but we are never kind of told point blank that she survived or came back or what that looked like. So it kind of wraps up that storyline mm-hmm. a little bit too. Yeah. It, and, you know, we also get uh, a little bit about uh, what's going on with the fact of, uh, you know, Trelawney and uh, Ferenz and who's going to be the divination teacher and Ron's like, I don't know why anybody would care about that anyway. And Hermione's like, how could you say that after we found out that prophecies are real, which is hilarious because Hermione has been the one who's like, this is the most woolly subject. It's totally dodgy. It means nothing. And now she's thinking, maybe I need to reevaluate how I feel about the idea of divination because there are real prophecies. (laughs) We talked, about, so I, I kind of alluded to this at the very beginning when we started learning about prophecies and Trelawney and things like that. And Hermione was very dismissive of the trade and, you know, it was this big hoax. But, you know, we kept focusing on it and, and talking about it throughout this whole book. And I even think some of last book. Yeah, some of last book as well, because um, that's really where Hermione's kind of prejudice lay. Um, and I just think it's so interesting that she took something, that Rowling took something so seemingly foofy and hoaxy and showed that it can actually be real if applied correctly. Like if you use it right and if you invest in it and you're thoughtful about it, it can be a real skill and a real trade and a real art. It's just, you know, it made me think like horoscopes and stuff like that. Those are probably not real, but maybe there's some element to that same thought process in the world that could be real. And it's really about bringing you back to that magic and that mystery. Um, of that and you know i I just thought that was such an interesting technique that she used with that skill set to show that this is this can be real um it maybe isn't all super real but (laughs) there are parts of it that are really real and it's nice to see hermione come around and sort of experiencing that and expressing that at least to ron you know herself see and and what i love about this too is that what we've at least seen from the prophecy that is real is that this is something that's kind of the prophecy coming to the prophet in a way that's beyond, you know, like it, it like there is something mystical and, and truly magical about what happens when true prophecy happens. Like you said, the, the other things are kind of like, yeah, it's definitely dodgy, but there, there is something that is here um, that, is bigger than this subject matter, you know? And so, yeah, fortune telling and all that kind of stuff are eh, kind of woolly disciplines, as, as Hermione calls them. But there, there, there is something to this which is true, and it, and and the most true version of it is something that seems a lot more um, like in line with when we think of prophecy, like through like religion and 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 biblically and 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 like a like a scripture that kind of thing like there's something like bigger here and so she doesn't really get too into the weeds with that but it is just kind of interesting um the way that that works out in the series um and and where we see like true prophecy comes from it's not just something a human made up or you know they found in a tea leaf yeah, and along those lines, it kind of shows to the power of belief behind it because the whole reason the prophecy is real is because it was self-fulfilling. Like 
Voldemort believed it to be real. He believed he had to act upon it and he kind of set those things into motion, right? And it shows the pow- the power that that can have, that those words can have. We've talked a lot about messaging and words and how that all is can be powerful depending on where it comes from between media and you know, Dumbledore and now Voldemort in this prophecy, like it, it shows the belief behind that is really the powerful part of it. Because she could have said that till kingdom come and we don't know that it would have happened if he hadn't acted. Um, and we have no way of knowing that now because he did act. So um, it's just so interesting. She takes such kind of a high level concept and brings it back and really convinces even the most skeptical of characters that it's important and significant and real at this point. Um so it's really interesting. Um, but actually the most, the, the struggling part here is we go from the last chapter where Harry is just basically so incredibly angry about everything and at everyone and, and about, you know, he's going through the stages of grief, of disbelief that he's gone, that Sirius is gone. And we see this kind of tamper down a bit here and Harry seems to kind of be avoiding everyone in this stage of grief and doesn't really want to talk about it, but wants to talk about it, but doesn't want to talk about it, but wants to talk about it, but doesn't want to talk about it. Um, and the next couple of sections of this book is really just Harry not wanting to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's something that's fantastic in the sense of the way that she deals with this is so true to reality of, of Harry not quite knowing how to verbalize all the things that have gone on which is the loss of his godfather and the learning that he is a marked man and the the closest thing that i could come to to this to try and kind of figure out what this would be like is like and it's the you know there are those times when like you look in um like the new testament and jesus just like goes away and he prays by himself because like who else is he supposed to talk to about this stuff it's like no no uh, like and harry doesn't even have that like he just doesn't know he has that same kind of mark on him right like he knows he's going to die um he knows what or voldemort's going to have to die and he doesn't know exactly how all this is going to work and so like there is this this feeling of like otherness that he has like nobody can relate to what harry is going through right now there's nobody that can relate to this i guess unless it's jesus um so you know like so who do you talk to about that and how do you explain that and so he hasn't that we find out he hasn't really talked to anybody about what he's learned other than dumbledore and in this the end of this chapter really it's about harry trying to process all of this and I think I appreciate the fact that there's no easy resolution to it. Like, she doesn't rush Harry's evolution and resolution of where he is in this moment. Like the rest of the book, Harry has to sit in this and be able to allow it to kind of be something that he's going to mull over and think about. And, and like, he... he his resignation to where he is and what he needs to do... Um, can't come in the the span of like a few days. This is too big for that. Right, right. I also really appreciate something and and can relate to a part of Harry's process, and that he's not he's not really one to be vulnerable. He doesn't. He he's generally the one that 
either is not emotionally invested in whatever's happening or, and, and that's not a bad thing, or he's the one they come to for answers and solutions, right? He teaches them all how to fight off the dark lords. He does this and that. He's kind of the brave one and the courageous one and he does it. And that doesn't afford him a lot of room to just be vulnerable. And that's not to say that they wouldn't be supportive of it. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't love and accept and you know help him through that time. But it's really hard for him to be vulnerable around certain people because he knows that in order to tell them about how he's feeling about Sirius, he also has to wrap in this conversation about him either accepting the fact that he has to murder someone or accepting the fact that he himself has to be murdered. And he just doesn't know what to think about that yet. He doesn't have an answer or a game plan or or what it means or what it does. And I think there's just a part of him that he knows Hermione's going to ask. He knows Ron's going to ask. And he doesn't have answers for them. He doesn't have answers for himself yet. Um, and there's just this this kind of you see it throughout several of the books, but he's very selective with whom he actually allows himself to be vulnerable and at what stage. Um, and it's usually Dumbledore. He allows himself to kind of break down around and just be present and be, you know, upset or sad or angry or whatever. It's not usually Ron and Hermione. So he's also kind of at an impasse where he doesn't know what to do and doesn't have those answers and doesn't want to have to be vulnerable. So he needs that time to process through it and provide some of that answers or at least be like, okay, so this is what I'm thinking about it. He needs to have something to bring to the table and he doesn't. And like you said, this is such a bigger load than he's ever had to carry. He doesn't know what to do with it. He And he needs time. He needs more mm-hmm. than the rest of the school year right. to figure that out. Yeah. And I, I think, again, it's one of the things that she does so well here is that she adequately shows the ways in which um, depression and trauma have to be dealt with with somebody. And and, and because she does not rush that with Harry, she's again allowing exactly what Harry needs in this time period to be able to, to find a healthy resolution to that when we get to, you know, the, the half blood prince. Um, and you know, there's a, there has been a change in Harry. And one of the changes we see is, is pretty immediate when he decides, uh, he doesn't really want to hang out with everybody anymore because things are getting a little bit too close to what he doesn't want to talk about, which is, uh, he was walking down the stairs, runs into Malfoy and the gang, and they're all pissed because of what he's done to their parents, put him in prison already. Uh, and he's like, Basically, come at me, bro. Which is exactly <laughs> what he says when Snape is like, uh, what are you doing? And he's like, hmm, I'm trying to decide how to curse Malfoy, sir. And like Snape is just staring at him. And you can see that there's a part of Harry that he's done suffering fools. Like he there is there is way too much going on in this world for him to suffer fools anymore. Uh, and the resolution to this may be one of the best parts of the chapter. I totally agree. I think he's at the point where he's like, this is so much bigger than them that who cares if he gets ejected from school? Who cares if he loses some house points? There's so much more going on here. And he just is sick and tired of wasting his time. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On these little spats, right? He's got a, such a different perspective now. The world is such bigger and has so much more weight to it that he could really care less if Malfoy and Crab and Goyle, you know, taunt him in the hallways. Just end it. Move on. Get out of my way. You know, um, but yeah, I absolutely love, it. and I love that there's a part of me that thinks Snape maybe appreciates Harry's candor a little bit. Um, cause he's kind of caught off guard and is almost like, okay, well at least you're being honest. Right. Um, but I love that Snape goes to take 10 points away from Gryffindor and looks over and was like, oh, well there's no points left to take, you know, cause Umbridge has done away with all of them. Um, and McGonagall shows up fresh out of St. Mungo's and swoops in um, and kind of saves the day, if you will. And I love that she gives like uh, 50 points to everybody. So she's like, ah, I got to give 50 points uh, to Potter and then the Weasleys and Longbottom, Miss Granger. Uh, Oh, and I, uh, for uh, Miss Lovegood, she deserves 50 points. So 50 points to Ravenclaw. Like she's just handing out 50 points all over the place. And, She's like the Oprah of House yeah, Points. Yeah, pretty much. You get fifty points. <laughs> you get fifty points. Everybody gets fifty points. And I like, and I like. She's like, oh, and I think you wanted to take away ten, so have at it. Uh, and it's kind of a great moment. And you know, he goes down to see Hagrid, and, and you know, Hagrid tells him that Gorp is, you know, hanging out in the caves where Sirius was ha- hanging out. You know, when he was there, and. Harry's like, oh, that's great. No, I don't. I gotta go see, you know, Ron and Hermione, and he just ends up, you know, just kind of sitting outside and watching the sunset. And there's just this, there is this melancholy in him that he's had. Like, it's a beautiful day, and he's struggling with the fact that people are happy and joyful and stuff outside, and he can't. He can't be totally melancholy, but he also doesn't know how to move forward yet. And it just, it is a great moment because I, I mean, I think everybody in their life has been in that place where you just, you don't quite know how to move forward yet. And if you haven't, you will at some point. <laughs> not to not to seem down and dreary, but it's just something that really get, forces you to step back. It forced him to step back and see what is actually important what's the value right appreciating kind of I, f- I feel like he had like a thoughtful moment he's appreciating that it's beautiful he can't be entirely down in this sort of beautiful setting he does say that at some point that he is really disappointed to leave hogwarts even though it's maybe not the same to him as it was before he still loves it and values what it is and feels like it's more home to him than any other place he'd ever been so you know, I think there's a, a mix of appreciation of the beauty and the wonder of where he is and of, of life, really. Um, but at the same time, doesn't know how to process that and process the loss and how to actually kind of be happy right now. 
Um, and, you know, we go through a few things and, you know, Harry and Ron are kind of prepping for the end of the year and supposed to be heading to the feast. And Harry is not really looking forward to it. He doesn't want to get mentioned by Dumbledore. Um, so he hangs back and starts going through his chest to repack it and find something in the bottom of it. Yeah, and this is the sad part where he finds the gift that Sirius had given him that he had forgotten to open, um, which was a two-way mirror, which is a thing that uh, James and Sirius had used as kids to talk to each other when they were away from each other. And Harry tries to use it, of course, and then realizes, oh, well, you know, Sirius must not have had it where he fell through the veil. And then there's a moment which a light comes on and he thinks, oh, and this is bigger than anything. So he runs to find nearly headless Nick to ask about the fact that maybe can Sirius come back as a ghost and does not get the answer he's looking for. This is actually, for me, one of the saddest parts of this whole book, honestly. I mean, Sirius dying is really sad, but uh, the fact that nearly headless Nick starts starts this whole part with like I knew you would come looking for me. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I think the thing that made it so sad was the way in which, you know, nearly headless Nick has to confess that yes, I'm here, but the life I lead is because I was too cowardly to go on to what's next. Um and that I live this life of nothingness, you know, like I, I, I have, I have nothing. I can, I can really do nothing. I can really touch nothing. I, you know, I, I have not even a half life. Um, and there's this real, I, I would say it's the most melancholy part of the, the, the chapter because he is, he, I feel like he only had his Nick is even having a hard time talking about it because it's he's being confronted with the decision that he made all of those years ago, which he at this point wishes he could do differently, but he can't. And now he's just stuck in this nether world of, you know, it, it's this nebulous existence. Well, and it really speaks to sort of the ultimate price being paid for letting fear make the decisions in your life right which is kind of the ultimate message we're getting from from Voldemort it's like everything he does is out of fear of loss of power or fear of being hate you know not being feared I guess but um you know it's it's kind of truly the ultimate when you fear everything so when you fear death so much you're left with nothing like at all like nothing you don't even get to move on um you know, and basically having to tell it was it was also one of those moments where Harry was a kid in this conversation. Like he's not a kid in a lot of this book. He's a kid wishfully hoping for him to come back. And it, he doesn't. It is one of the I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of her story in that. For rolling you know, she's mentioned personally that for her, the, the struggle is is the belief and faith is really difficult for her. And she struggled with it her whole life. And part of that, th this whole series is dealing with, you know, death and what that means. 
Um, and there's a there's a beauty to knowing that um, Sirius chose differently. And it's the conversation with Luna which makes that feel better for Harry in a way that he's not expecting, which she she says to him, you know, he finds her in the hallway and she's lost her possessions because people have stolen them. And, and Harry finds himself, like it takes a moment, but he finds himself feeling sorry for her and kind of being angry on her behalf. You know, so there's this great moment of Harry, like he's been connected now with this character that, you know, others might think is loony, but um, she has real value to him um, beyond what other people see. And she mentions to him, oh, come on, you know you heard them just beyond the fail, didn't you? Like she believes that she will see her mother again because those that did not choose the less than half-life of a ghost and go beyond, that there is a beyond. There is a next step. And there is, um, there's a real beauty in that, I think. Uh, and, and to have that come through Luna, that Harry feels like this terrible weight in his stomach has been lessened because of the conversation with her is really, and especially too when he knows that it's her her mother that's gone, and he watches how she's been she deals with it. I just think there's such a like there's such a sadness in the conversation with Nick, but there's such like joy in the conversation with Luna that you're not expecting. Well, and I, I also think that like Luna represents the process, the grief process for him, right? He sees what she's been through it. She's had her time, but she also acknowledges something very real to him that nobody else has really said. And it's that like, it still hurts now. It, it kind of always will hurt. And I think someone finally telling him like, not trying to make him feel better, like not being like, oh, this is what Sirius would have wanted. Oh, you know, like not trying to rationalize the situation, but just being very real with Harry that like it sucks and it hurts and it still hurts. Like there's something very kind of real and raw about the honesty there that I think is comforting to him and kind of what he needed to hear. You know, like sometimes it's just an acknowledgement of what we're feeling from a very real place that we need from someone who truly understands. And he's known since the beginning of this book, when we first were introduced to the Thestrals, that she has been through something herself. And so her telling him that it hurts, you know, it still hurts a little bit is okay. Mm -hmm. It's telling him that it's okay for it to hurt. And I think he needed permission to feel something. Um, so in that sense, it was kind of happy that he got permission to grieve mm. essentially you know so you know that's also sort of a relief for him and she's also not gonna overreact or tell right. anybody or make a big deal out of it she's very even keel and has always been very even keel um almost robotic like in a, a very fairy robot kind of way <laughs> i don't know how to describe she's it like a happy go this, lucky like, fairy yeah with this like disregard for she's not very emotional she's just sort of even keel you know she gets mad like once the entire time and it's at Hermione for kind of being rude to her like she's she's just she's everything he needed in that moment um 
And, and I think her utter faith, not just that she'll see her mom, but that she'll get all her stuff back before she leaves. <laughs> I think that was that kind of humorous moment Harry needed too. is like, eh, it'll come. Don't worry about it. You know, it's that, it's that moment that he's like, yeah, it will. So it was, it was kind of a happy way to end that whole last day at Hogwarts. Yeah, it's, it is a, I think the moment that I love is is that she has cracked open a door which she is going to further, but it's going to be not in the next book, but in the last book. And her kind of, um, I think, philosophy on life and death and, you know, kind of uh, quote unquote salvation kind of comes there. But she started to look at that process here and it's what i think is interesting you know a lot of people have kind of like oh harry potter whatever but like the what we when we talk about the the ramifications and the issues that rolling is helping kids learn how to deal with at this point i think and even adults you know like i think this chapter touched me in a million different ways this um and part of it was just um this end here on their journey home like the the gang of Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle are ready to gang up on Harry the moment he gets onto the train. And by the time the DA members are done with them, they look like slugs. Uh, which, you know, Ron's like, well, you know, I mean, it's good for Goyle's mom. She should be pleased because he's way better looking now. Uh, you know, so uh, Harry not only has this this inner group, but he has this larger group, which... Um, of people that believe in him, that love him. And, and that part of that, th this chapter starts uh, on the train. And I really think it's beautiful. And not only that, but there's some conversations that kind of like life slowly starting to get back to normal as like they have a little conversation about Cho and Harry's like, eh, you know, whatever. She's better off without me. And like, it doesn't phase him anymore. Ginny. Right, and Ginny and Ginny's love life and mm -hmm. that she, you know, Cho, we find out about it because Cho's dating who they thought Ginny was dating and she's like, no, basically she's like, eh, no, he couldn't handle me. Uh, you know, I was I was too strong for him and he didn't like that. So, you know, he ran away and I, I found someone new and I, I like him and everyone's like, what? And like, I just love how she owns it. She's just like, eh, that's what I'm doing. We're going to see what happens, you know? Um, and I, I, do, I do find it really, you know, reassuring and it kind of like business back to usual they're just talking about it and i i love i feel like so at the beginning of the book when we meet neville on the train he has that little tiny plant that like splooges all over um harry and neville when cho comes by and they end up covered in all that ick right um and now we're back to the end where they're leaving and it's kind of a matured plant and neville has kind of a good grasp on it and i feel like that's really what happened to everyone throughout this book it's kind of a good summary they all started out as these awkward weird don't know what we're doing and throughout this book have really matured and grown and now they kind of are a little more well grown and can kind of handle things and we're and you know it shows a little bit of confidence that neville has that he can kind of just manage this plant now instead of freaking out about it the whole time so i just think that that's such a cute little touch she kind of wraps that up and shows that start to finish growth and development they've had throughout this book yeah i i really agree with that and i think uh there's that one little moment before 
Ginny tells them who she's dating, how Ron's like, well, that's good because I feel like you should choose somebody better next time. And he gives this little look over to Harry like, okay, so Ron maybe thinks that Harry should date Ginny, possibly? (laughs) I would hope so. Kind of cute. Which is very different from the movies where he is totally against it wholeheartedly. So maybe that could be a thing. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll have to wait till the next book. Mm. We'll see. But the best part of the chapter here is they get back to King's Cross um, and they make their way out of the portal and they find this enormous group of people all waiting for them to get there. And it's Tonks and Lupin and... Uh, the Weasleys and Mad Eye Moody, as well as Fred and George, and they're all and their fancy pants, yes. which I love, which is great. That is the best. Um, and they're all waiting to be able to have a conversation with the Dursleys about Harry. Well, and interestingly enough, they don't specifically call it out, but you you get alluded to the fact in a couple of uh, rounds of dialogue in. Um, that Hermione's parents are also mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they're, they're speaking with them. So not only, not so much from an intimidation factor, but just in terms of the number of people, um, you know, you've got two more adults in there that, you know, the Dursleys don't know any better. So, um, you know, there's this whole giant group and kind of in the distance, we see the Dursleys approaching. I, and my favorite thing is they, ba- is Mad-Eye basically says, look, if you don't treat Harry right, we're coming at you. It's another, we're, yeah, we're coming at you, bro. Come at me, bro. Yeah, and I love that. <laughs> this chapter should have just been called Come at me, bro. I love that um, Mr. Dursley's like, are you are you threatening me? And Matt Ida says, yes, I am. Who seemed rather pleased that Uncle Vernon had grasped this fact so quickly. <laughs> so my favorite moment, though, my favorite one in here. As he says something like, I don't recall you being, and he's trying to say something about like being able to be involved in the affairs in our home or something. He's like, I could write a, not, I could write a whole series of books on the things that you don't yes. know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's, that's the best way. Cause that's just though such the proper and socially formal way to address mm-hmm. it. And he's like, I could do a lot with that. Like I just, it was hilarious. I loved it. Yes. I was like, Oh, mad eye. Mad-eye. Well, and I think the thing that's so beautiful about this, and, and this is the part that really got me, it was, this, you know, Harry, and he cannot find a way to put into words what this makes him feel, because this whole chapter is about him feeling other and different and alone. And this moment, he feels loved and cared for and secure and in a way that makes you kind of feel like you, that feeling when your heart just wants to explode and there are no words, that's what Harry feels. And it's such a beautiful way to end a book that has been so emotionally taxing for all the characters, especially Harry. And what we see is Harry's not alone. He has a family. And this family has come around him. And he has many different types. I mean, like, he's got this whole extended family here. He's got his smaller family with Ron and Hermione. He's got this slightly larger family that includes, like, Ginny and and Luna and Neville now. He's got the DA. You know, he's closer with Dumbledore than he's ever been. Um, All of these things have come around him 
And I, there's a there's a real beauty in that because I think this book is so needed not just for the series, but I think for teenagers because we all feel alone and like nobody understands us. And, and what we come to realize in life is that, no, there are people that are there and there are people that understand us. Um, and usually they're right in front of our face. We just stop looking sometimes. And, and that's what Harry gets here. And I think there's a just a real beauty and the way that she ends this book. Well, it's also nice that they kind of figured out how to do this, right? Because this is what the fifth, sixth time, the fifth time he's come home from Hogwarts, right? And it's finally to the point where they know that this is necessary to even do without Harry having to say anything, right? He doesn't have to tell them, I need your help. He doesn't have to ask them to protect him or keep him in the loop. Like just with the series of way things have happened, they understand that this is necessary for Harry to feel loved and that they know I think they finally grasp how incredibly difficult this has been, especially the last year when we start the book with Harry literally not hearing from anybody and not allowed to hear from anybody and being intentionally sort of ostracized, right? Like this is the moment where they're like, all right, gloves are off. This is it. You're one of our pack. You're one of our wolf pack, right? We're going to protect our little wolf cub however we need to. Um, and, and it's it's just perfect. It's exactly what he needed. It's exactly what the book needed. We needed an uplifting end for a situation that, you know, we now know Harry has to go back to Privet Drive. He doesn't have an option of going anywhere else and still being safe. So the fact that he has to do that, this is exactly what us as readers and Harry needs to be okay with that. And this is like the compromise of how that works, right? There's no more hiding. We're just going to confront the situation head on and we're just going to go for it. So, uh, I mean, I, I love the ending and I love all of them just kind of rallying behind them. And I totally love the way that you phrase the fact that it's it, the fa- you just have to open your eyes and the family you need is the one that's there. It's not always what you think it's going to be, but there's, there's a family there. So, um, it's it's a happier ending to a fairly melancholy chapter and a pretty heavy chapter and some pretty heavy material we've dealt with in the whole book. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want mad eye to, if I need, ever need backup, I totally want <laughs> yes. mad eye. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's interesting because as we've been walking through the series, um, I think it, it's fascinating that the, I would say the odd number books are the ones that are, much more internal for the most part. Um, and the ones that are even number kind of tend to be external. Uh, they they tend to be ones that are more uh, world building and kind of uh, setting the stage. About other characters yeah. mm-hmm. and involvement. Yeah. So, and I, I think it's one of the reasons why I, I tend to gravitate more towards the internal books is because they're ones where all of the refining is happening for those characters we care so much about. And it's one of the reasons, actually, this is one of my favorite books in the series. It's it's just such a rewarding experience to go through. And it's one that specifically has been there for me in times of like trial and crisis and, and frustration. And it just reminds me that... Um, like you said, those things that family is, is the one that's there for you, you know, and, and having had those good, beautiful friends that have stood by my side, even when I was being quite stupid, um, you know, it just reminds you of those things. And, and I just I absolutely love this 
book, and I think that Rowling did a service to the character and to the story by allowing us to experience pain and trial and heartache in such a real and honest way instead of sugarcoating this that happens in so many series. Um, and it's great. It's it's 100% such a great book. So um, I can't believe we got to the end of it and that we have the Half-Blood Prince next. So, <laughs> Oh, I can't believe we finished. I can't believe we're done with five of the seven books. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Although the next two are like, huge yeah um <laughs> it is funny that you know the last three books are as long as the first four books for the most part so yeah but we're we'll um we'll actually not be here next week so um as we're recording this um if you're looking for the next week's show drea like we mentioned is going to be moving so we're taking the week off so that she can get settled i won't have any internet <laughs> Like I won't be able to do anything, so it'll be a shame. But uh, and I'll miss I'll miss it. But it's just it's not gonna happen yeah. this next week. So, but it's between the books, so it gives you an opportunity to catch up a little bit and maybe get book seven and get ahead. Or so. book six, not book seven. Or, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, six. six. <laughs> she she's got moving whoa, brain. Whoa, whoa! You could you you could get book seven and really get ahead. Yes, if you really want yes. to, but that might be challenging. <laughs> but um. You know, Drea, while you're moving uh, and everything, uh, where can everybody find you online and maybe get some pictures of the new house? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at PCFChick, um, or you can find me on Instagram at Drea Kaufman, and it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. I'm sure we'll have, I'm sure there's some builder grade stuff up there now if you wanted to take a peek, but we'll definitely have some finished products up here within the next week or two, so, Man. or whenever it is that you all are are re-listening to this episode. <laughs> That's exciting, though. So I'm I'm really excited for you guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name MattRushing02. Uh, I'm here on the network. I do a show called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, and it's a Star Wars podcast. And so each and every week we dive into everything Star Wars, anything that we can think of. It, it, you just never know what we're going to come up with. So it's been a lot of fun. And we, we're having a great time as we move towards the end of the Skywalker saga this year. So check it out. Uh, you can also find me on the Trek FM network. I do two shows there. One is called The Orb with Chris Jones. Uh, there, when we get a chance, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can find me on the General Geek show there, which is the 602 Club. Now, that show, we cover all of the fandoms that we love. So we've actually covered all the Harry Potter movies and the Fantastic Beasts movies, plus Star Wars and Marvel and DC and like everything that we can get in there. Uh, and then last but not least, I do a show with my friend Courtney, and that is called Cinema Stories. Uh, and that's where we talk about films through the lens of faith. But for the last time with The Order of the Phoenix, thank you so much for joining us. Mischief Managed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.